John Adams of the FCA Fellowship of Christian Athletes, thank you for coming in today. Thanks for having me, Rob. It's a blast. I haven't seen you. It's been a while. It has been a while. It has been a while. Thanks for texting me a few weeks ago, huh? Yeah, no. It's, so you're with Fellowship of Christian Athletes out here in Denver. Yeah. But uh, tell, you've, you've coached before that for quite a while. Yeah, I coached uh, 21 years starting in 1990, uh, okay. coaching some 5th and 6th graders. Oh, yeah. How old were you when you were doing that? So I was 20. Oh, uh, I was going to say, like, maybe you were an 8th grade coach? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, as far as that's the story goes. But the facts say that I was actually 20 years old. Okay. But, uh, I was a sophomore going to school at Metro State. Okay. And I got asked by my coach uh, from the same school, uh, hey, he needed a 5th and 6th grade coach. He was the 7th and 8th grade coach. And I said, sure, why not? I'm right. not playing anymore. I'm just doing intramurals at this point. And... Uh, absolutely got hooked. And, isn't, it, uh, isn't it amazing how that works? Oh my gosh, it got its hooks in me deep, and then it was just game over. And then that started a 21 year ride of uh, more and more and more, and moving up to seventh and eighth graders, and then getting finally that that high school dream job, isn't the it? freshman B team. Yeah, coach. Yeah, I mean it was. Uh, I was in the big time in the limelight there, and uh, I was just thrilled to be in high school on another level. Then I became a varsity assistant coach for a while, and then I became in uh, 2001. I was the uh, became a head varsity basketball coach. So now I've really arrived. You are at the pinnacle. The pinnacle, yeah. I mean, I'm going to be on book tours, and they're going to be writing about right. me for yeah, something like that. <clears throat> you're going to have you're going to have to, people go through your assistants to get to you. Yeah, yeah. I'll, all of my people talk to your people, right. and uh, all the Nike clinics are going to be you know asking yeah. me to fly in, and yeah, yeah, not. <laughs> but uh, I was enjoying it. I was it was a thrill. And uh, like like you like you said, I mean, I, I had its hooks in me. It's, it's amazing. Like I started coaching about when I was nineteen or twenty years old. Yeah. Same thing, you know, junior high basketball. Yeah. I was like, this is incredible. Yeah. Where's it's? And I, never, I didn't even play organized high school or junior high basketball. Oh wow. I just played pickup ball my whole life. Wow. Or not my whole life, but like started about in high school, and all of a sudden I grew bigger than everyone else. I'm like, what can I use to my advantage since I'm bigger than everybody? <laughs> I can yeah. play basketball. It seems like an advantage I have on people. Yeah, yeah. It does. It turns out that way in basketball. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And yeah. so, but yeah, about twenty. Yeah. And still, you know, friends with some of the people that I coached and coached with from like the very on, very beginning to this day. Awesome. So yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. What what a ride it was too. You know, I just a lot of unexpected things along the journey. You know. Uh, the, the lives you get to interact with, uh, the kids, and then the families you get to interact with. I mean, there's, those are just so many stories. We could talk for many hours just recounting a lot of those stories. I know you could, too, and every oh, coach yeah. could, too. But it's just when you really start seeing it as uh, sort of actually you, we throw that word calling out some cheaply sometimes, but really in the most authentic way. I mean, you really feel like, man, this is what I was meant to be and isn't what it, meant to do. Yeah, isn't it funny, too, and all that, you, with the calling and all that, where in the season, in the time, you as a coach, you're always worried about the win-loss record and how are yeah. the guys playing and all that stuff. But I couldn't tell you the record of a team from, you know, 10 years ago, yeah. how we did. But I can still tell you some of the names of the guys, yeah. things we did for fun, yeah. seeing them again, how much fun that is. Or some, and some of the moments in the games yep. or in practices. Yep. Yeah, the memories. But you're just like, I don't really remember. I mean, like, I think we had a winning season or I think we did well. But, like, I couldn't tell you. Yeah. You know, some of them you can because they really scarred you, maybe. Yeah, yeah. That's an interesting point because I, and that was a profound moment for me. One, you know, we always, when I was a high school varsity coach, we always, in our last home game, we always called it senior night, which yeah. just about every program in high school does. And we did a questionnaire that one year, and we asked all of our players, you know, describe your, your favorite memory from all of your time here at our high school. Okay. 
and it was resounding, Rob. I would just, I was expecting that overtime win versus so-and-so or that unbelievable game where we went on to the playoffs. And person to person, for those, I think, five or six seniors that year, it was, I remember team camp in summer oh, yeah. in the dorm room, hanging out with the guys until the early hours of the day. And it was just, it was really non-basketball stuff, actually. It's amazing. And it just works. surprised me. I looked at my coaches. I'm like, did someone just make this up? And it was like, no, coach, that's what we're, we're really cherishing and remembering the most. And it was just like, well, I thought this was really just about basketball, but I think it's about a lot more than just basketball. Oh, yeah. It's funny where it's like I'm going to a few of the guys as they get married and all that. You go, how many guys are the team that are in their wedding or at their yeah. wedding? And then, too, and you're like, this is pretty cool to be a part of something like that. Where these are yeah. their lifelong friends that you're a help of uh, helping create that bond yeah. with a part of their life. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And although it took me a very, very long time to, to really grasp that. Yeah. Um, to be honest with you, that's that's another part of my journey. Is, um, I was just I was just so enthralled with the competition. I just you know if we if you and I sat down and played checkers, or a video game, or got a basketball and went out oh, to yeah. found some park here. I mean, the competitor in both of us would oh. come out and it was in me. I love competing. I just, and I think, I think God's wired us that way. Oh yeah. And I, I think we can use it for a lot of evil things, but I think we can actually use it for his glory. <laughs> I think it's a tool. <laughs> yeah, I, exactly. Yeah. We use it for a lot of different purposes, moral or immoral, but just, I didn't get that for the longest time because I was really in it for me. Yeah. Um, I, I maybe wouldn't say that, but inside that was kind of my thought process because I really wanted people to see that I was a great coach. Yeah. And that's why I wasn't okay with staying with fifth and sixth graders because, you know, when you sit down with your friends and check in and say, Hey, what are you, John, what are you doing? What's going on? I'm like, Hey, I'm coaching. I'm like, Oh really? What are you doing? I'm coaching fifth and sixth graders. Well, that's kind of cute. Yeah. Was, well, but do that in the evenings, the why it's like, Oh, you know, kind of like want to pet me behind the ears, <laughs> yeah. like a puppy dog kind of yeah. thing. You know, I'm kind of like, inside I'm kind of boiling like wait a minute I'm that a really good I, sixth grade coach. I'm a really good one and I need to go to another level to prove to everyone yeah but actually I'm really something and it really was really was it kind of was my identity yeah no, I can, my identity I can became what I did yeah um, and that's always dangerous in any uh, facet of life but for the longest time that's that's why I kept climbing the ladder um, because I wanted more and more and more and more accolades and people thinking that John Adam is really something oh yeah did you, did you find it too that this is, you know, from my experience, like you have those moments where it's like, you obviously the X's and O's compete in the game and you want to, but then like you get pulled back, like, oh, it's about the relationship. Yeah. But you're like, also it's about the relationship, but it's game time. Yeah. Let's, you know, so you're always there trying yeah. to, that tension in there going, we're trying to be nice to guys, trying to build that, you know, lasting yeah. impression. But we've worked hard, you know, compete here. Yes. Yeah. Oh my there's gosh. Tension in that. Yeah. There, there's very much. That's that's real. For anyone who has coached for any any length of time at any level, really, they can like, oh, yep, they're on their head. Like, yep. And there's was, a real tension there. I would say at least at the varsity level when you coach there, Ooh. it's easier to say no to it because like we're at varsity, we're supposed to be competitive here. Right. When you're coaching the fifth, sixth graders or JV, it's like okay. We can put Robin, even though it's towards the end of the yeah. game, it's close. Yeah. Because we're here to develop. Yeah. But now it's varsity. It's like, nothing else to develop. Time to win. We're trying to win here. Exactly. Exactly. Like, Coach, we've only won three games all year. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's okay. We're, we want to get another one. Let's get to four. That, that, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that, 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 that tension is, is real. And for those uh, coaches that, you know, I'll tell you what, I've when I came on staff 
13 years ago, I was doing solely coaches ministry. Okay. So all I was doing, my, my, my full 40 plus 50 hour, whatever a week job was working with coaches individually, small groups, that kind of stuff. So when you say working with them, what would you do? Yeah, well, we would have, uh, what would that, that was actually, I'll hit pause and just hit rewind real quick. That's how I got involved with FCA Okay. was in uh, 2006. Um, my school started a, a what we call a coach's huddle. So just a, a, a more, uh, like a Thursday morning, 6 a.m. group of coaches that got together to basically talk coaching, to get into the Word of God, to open the Bible, and then to pray for each other. It was really a simple, simple formula. It wasn't yeah. uh, really complex like that. And I had never, I had always had my faith um, uh, from, from since I was 13 years old is when I owned it and I grew up in a Christian home where I can't even tell you a time where I would have denied God or denied Jesus Christ. But I was that guy that was going along my life that um, basketball became such an important thing. It was almost like a second God, even though I never consciously said that. Yeah. That, that was functionally what I was doing. So in 06, when that FCA group started to happen, um, they started to open up the Bible and talking coaching. And I almost wanted to laugh. I was like, come on, there's only like two verses in the, in, in the whole Bible that even talk about sports. You know, one in First Corinthians that talks about running such a way as to win the prize. Okay, well, that's track. That's not basketball. You know, so that doesn't really apply to me. And then Paul also talks about kind of beating his body, sort of like training as a boxer. And I look like the rest is just Old Testament stories and Jesus and the apostles. And I'm like, what does this have to do with coaching? And what happened through that process is that whole book is about coaching, really. Yeah. You know, the greatest coach who ever lived, I think, was Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know, and he had a, had a group of 12, so I think he was a basketball coach. That's <laughs> right. my theory. That's a good theory. That's I, my th- I like it. We'll, we'll run with it. That's my theory. And there's always one in the 12 that you're like, eh. And he had one guy that he had to cut. Yeah, exactly. You know, and he had a loud mouth there. And yeah. he had some, yeah, he had a lot of characters in there, too. Yeah, but, playing for the wrong reason. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So it was just uh, through that process that uh, I realized that, wow, I— God didn't just have a purpose in me putting faith in Jesus Christ for so that someday I'd be in heaven, but he's actually given me a purpose right here, right now. And I finally realized that it was coaching. Hmm. It was coaching. That my mission field wasn't in some jungle in Africa. It was on the hardwood coaching high school boys basketball. I'm like, holy cow. Because we know the statistics even show this. And I think just anyone who's played sports before would even recant back to their playing days that their coach probably has as much influence on them than maybe anyone else in their life. And that might even include their parents in a lot of cases. Yeah. No, uh, when I first started coaching, the first coach I coached with, Coach Fox. Back in Toledo. Coach Fox. Yep. All right. He, I think he's down in Atlanta now these days. But uh, he told me before before I helped out at a single practice, when I agreed to help coach, he goes, he goes Rob, I want to tell you the one thing here as a coach. Because I was about 19, 20 years old. Yeah. He goes, there's three titles a man can have. Hmm. He's like, you can't take for granted. He goes, husband, father, coach. Whoa. He goes, you can't, you know, you can't take any of those for granted. Yeah. So he's like, right now you're just a coach. Yeah. He's like, one day hopefully you'll be a husband and you'll be a father. Yeah. He's like, you got to learn how to take those for granted as well. He's like, but right now he's like, you're going to be a coach. So he's like, take it seriously. Wow. And then what, you know, and kind of like what you're saying. That's like profound. That those kids will look at you. Yep. Like a coach. They, they really do. I mean, you know, Bobby Bowden, the old uh, Florida State coach, uh, he literally uh, would say that, you know, I'm, I'm basically father for so many of my players 
Um, you know, he, he, he was famous for recruiting inner city, a lot of broken families, kids from broken families, uh, and had some real tough cases. And of course they made some headlines, unfortunately, but the heart behind that, from what I've heard from Bobby Bowden was he has a, he has a heart for those young men and they need a father and they really don't have their biological father's nowhere to be found. Yeah. But they, they're good at football and we have a chance here at Florida state to maybe make some young men that could turn the corner and have a change of life. So, you know, we can talk about, you know, whether you did it right or wrong, but I think the heart behind that is awesome. Yeah, no, and I, I remember you've talked about uh, Florida State. What's the, Duke? What's the guy's name? Oh, Jeff Duke. Jeff Duke, and some of the past clinics I've been to, they've been a part. Yeah. And I got to be honest, every time I hear those, I cringe just a little bit because I have been. You're a hurricane fan. I'm a hurricane you? fan, oh, born and raised. Man. My aunt and uncle are down there from Miami, you know, indoctrinated from a young age. And I'm like, why? Like it was tough enough with Charlie Ward. I'm like, he's such a great player uh, and a basketball guy too. Yeah. And now he's like, now, you know, John here is talking good stuff about Florida State. I'm torn. I'm like, I still hate him on the field. <laughs> <laughs> we love our teams, don't we? Oh, it's amazing how it puts us in our tribes. It does. It does. I'm a, I'm a North Carolina Tar Heel fan, so I, uh, I, I hope I'm not sitting across from a dookie because we may have to exit <laughs> this interview right now. I would. Yeah, I'm a huge. Now, see, here's how I like North Carolina. I am a Duke fan. Okay. Okay, but I want North Carolina to win Every game, except when they play Duke. Oh man! I want them to rip Duke to rip their heart out oh, every time. Those tw- two God to three times a year. Lee. Like I still can, in great memory, remember that shot Austin Rivers took in the uh, Dean Dome from about the th- you know I call yeah. like the three quarter you know right uh-huh. spot there, yeah. and you know Duke being down the entire game, yeah. not even being ahead on the scoreboard the whole game until the buzzer sounded. Yeah, and I was like that. Glorious moments. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I usually have uh, my two favorite teams are North Carolina and whoever's playing Duke. So yeah, that's no. so that's just how I put it. So I'm glad you could still sit here and talk with me, even though we obviously have some rivalry. Oh, here. yeah. At least, at least we can agree the Broncos and maybe, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe the Rockies. For, I love the Rockies. Yeah. See, all, all right, right. We're on the same page. All right. There we go. So you got you got involved with Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Yeah, yeah. Eleven years ago ish. Uh, yeah, thirteen years ago, um, in about '06 or so. And what's, and that, what's their overall mission? If someone hasn't heard of Fellowship of yeah. Christian Athletes, what's what are you guys trying to get done? Yeah, our, our our vision is to see the world transform, the world transform through the influence uh, of coaches and athletes. Um, Using the platform of sports, which is a massive one oh, worldwide, yeah. but America, we're, we, it's, I mean, it's, you know, the amount, we, 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 we can look at the amount of money that's spent. I mean, I think the, you know, in, in ancient times, uh, oftentimes t- small towns were built around the worship uh, center, whether it's a church, mosque, whatever. Yeah. I submit to you that the worship center for Denver, Colorado is Mile High Stadium, Pepsi Center, and Coors Field, all right down there on I-25 where 80,000 people on a given Sunday afternoon go to, quote-unquote, worship, and because we love our Broncos so much. Um, we've had the, we got the sellout record and all the money we spent, the jerseys that are out there. I mean, we love our sports. Uh, and there's a lot of people that, that are, their hearts are in it. So the thought was in 1950s, a, a high school basketball coach in Oklahoma named Don McClannan said, you know, if these pro athletes can be endorsing shaving cream, and if you can believe it or not, they were endorsing cigarettes back then. <laughs> it's, it would be laughable to see LeBron right. James poke, you know, having a Marlboro or something <laughs> like that now. But endorsing those, he's like, why can't we use that platform to endorse the gospel of Jesus Christ? And that's where 
the thought of FCA has begun. So 65 years later, we're celebrating next month, or, or November, we're celebrating our uh, 65th anniversary uh, of this organization that's approaching almost 2,000 staff people. And now we're in over, I think, 80 different countries around the world. Incredible. So, yeah. So, and, and what's your role then with fellowship? So, yeah, my, I'm, I'm, my title is a multi-area director uh, for Greater Denver. So I'm the director overseeing all the 13 staff and all the ministry that we have going on in the Greater Denver Boulder area. Okay. So, uh, so yeah, we're, we're basically in a nutshell, what we are about is just wherever coaches and athletes are, we want to be. Okay. So that's, that's our mission is uh, we want to see the, the world transformed by Jesus Christ through the, those influence. So we, we've really made a turn as an organization to truly start trying to really focus on that, influ- that key influencer, the coach. Yeah. We really uh, feel like we're the preeminent uh, or we're, we're positioned to be the preeminent ministry to coaches. So our, our, our strategy of reaching every coach, every athlete for Christ is to and through the coach. Okay. So. Okay, now getting into coaches, like, because I've been to some stuff at high schools where you guys have been at, yeah. even public high schools. It's amazing people at 6 o'clock in the morning. Um, and I, you can see the, it's a, I won't say easy, but you can see the inroads and the, to get into, like, the schools. But what about with the movement of club sports with all these right. kids playing travel ball and all these other yeah. type of sport, you know, teams that are outside of the school jurisdiction? How do you, how do you get connected with those coaches or try to impact them? Yeah, exactly, and that's that's even more important that we're connecting to coaches then because yeah. it's not we we can't just go have a one stop shopping like we have stopping at a high school campus where we could go visit you know a dozen or more different coaches from a dozen or more different sports. Yeah, we go to Real Soccer or we go to this club basketball or traveling baseball team. Um, it's it's a little different avenue too, and that's that's been you know in the 1950s when we began there was. We didn't know what club sports were. No. We basically weren't even around. But this, the statistic that's now a few years old, but there are 57 million athletes in America, 18 and under, playing sports. 50 million of them are playing for a team outside their school. So that's, yeah, the so large majority. The vast majority, yes. So we, that's, why we, that's, that's why I phrased it that way. Wherever coaches and athletes are, that's where we're positioning ourselves to be. So, yeah, we're having to, we're having to that, that whole multi-sport huddle at 6 a.m. on a Wednesday morning at a public high school where it's student-led group. We, we're not abandoning that, but that's kind of been our bread and butter for a long time. But we're now having to start to reinvent ourselves a little bit to start to reach out to those, those club teams off of campus. Yeah, because that's got... I mean, now it's just, like you said, without one roof that these places are under, it's a lot, yeah. a lot harder to go reach these people. Right, I'd right. imagine to keep, especially with just time or strengths you have. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So that that's our mission too. You know, there's uh, there's roughly 3.2 million people uh, by my estimation in that what we call Greater Denver area. Okay. Um, Lots of coaches, lots of athletes, 123 high schools alone. So, I mean, it's just a massive undertaking. We are way understaffed right now. Um, so that's that's one of my jobs is when I became this uh, multi-area director last August um, is to try to staff this area and build an army of, of staff where we can really reach uh, and d- develop deep relationships with coaches especially and try to reach and multiply our efforts with athletes. Interesting. So then and what's you, what do you guys – what was the uh, the program you guys are using with Jeff Duke? Yeah, yeah. So uh, having having curriculum. Try, oh, man, I should know yeah. that. I had the book on my desk for the longest time, and I take it off. That's the, right. Like the week you show up. You're asking the right guy. Three-dimensional coaching. Three-dimensional. I, I could know it was a pyramid. Yeah, it, yeah there you so, go. Yeah, yeah. Three-dimensional coaching. Uh, in a, Dr. Jeff Duke at the University of Central Florida got his doctoral thesis, and he stretched it over 10 years studying us coaches. 
In a lab. In a lab and doing lots of research. Poking and, and prodding. And, and yeah, yeah, I was really uncomfortable. Wow, did you go in for your checkup yeah, too, Rob? Right. Yeah. <laughs> but he studied long-term successful coaches, not just that flash in the pan. Had that How do you define year. a long-term successful Well, I mean, wins and losses were part of that. Um, but they also measured some other things too about just you know outcomes like, with 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 players like and, ten years at a program or more. yeah yes it, longevity in programs and then just uh, you know if it's if it's a high school coach kids going on to college and then those type of things metrics okay and what he found was the elite the top five percent of those coaches intentionally had a strategy to coach beyond just the X's and O's of the sport. But what he defined as what he calls the, the, the second and third dimension, the second dimension being that the, more of the psychology, the, the, the motivation, the emotions, the, the team cohesion, that these coaches actually intentionally coach that in their athletes. Uh, and then they also had a strategy to coach the third dimension, which is really just the heart or the, the spirit or the soul. Mm-hmm. You know, we may use that, those ch- terms interchangeably. That they coached the heart behind the jersey Huh. Whether it's the water boy or the, the, the all-state kid or anything in between, these coaches that were on that elite level strategically coached great in the first dimension. They were no weak sauce in the X's and O's and the strategy of the game, the physical part of the sport. But they were really good also about intentionally coaching the second and third dimension, like I said. And how, it's, how would a coach like intentionally coach like the second and third dimension? Yeah, well, for example, uh, one of the things um, that – he saw, and actually his, uh, Jeff Duke's son actually was a, it's neat because J- Jeff Duke now is actually coaching with his son. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's great. It's, which is a really cool story at a high school. Because his, his son's the head coach and he's the assistant. And he's the, I think he's a coordinator. Yeah. 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 Oh. So what a cool, cool kind of thing, but they just love their, their football down there too. But, uh, so one of the things they do, this is this, you got to be intentional about this. They, with their position coaches assign, you know, their group of kids that they'll be coaching that year. And before school starts, all the coaches call up the parents or the guardians and say, listen, I am coach so-and-so. I am coaching your son this fall. I would like to stop by and say hi uh, for just a 15-minute visit, and I want to I meet you. So they actually go to the home of the kid to really start to establish that trusting relationship uh, with the parents and then shows the players how much they actually care about them. So that's, that's kind of a second dimension and sort of a third dimension strategy all, uh, all in one. But uh, the fruit that comes from that is the bond and the relationships. And once they hit the field uh, in, in August and, and once their season starts, I mean, they're just a cohesive unit. So that's just that's just uh, one example there too. Other things that I, I started to Im- implement too is sometimes like the spotlight drill. You know, we all know what a put down is. Yeah. I mean, everyone was probably received a put down. Hopefully, not too many. But yeah. I mean, those sting. And sometimes, oftentimes in locker rooms, the culture is sarcasm. In fact, the, the language is sarcasm. A lot of the times, it is. Absolutely. I mean, I just I just from my playing days, and I think most athletes, you know, can relate to that. And oh yeah. It kind of drifts towards that. Um, it's who's trying to who can make the biggest laugh at whoever's expense. Yeah. So what? So what? The culture that if it without some intentionality, and if that's what's running roughshod inside of the the locker room, and that's what the culture is. If for me to kind of establish myself as a player inside that, I've got to be looking for what's wrong with you. So at the right time, the right way, I can hit that jab, and I can be sarcastic, and I can cut you down, which raises me up a little bit, and now I'm someone here. So it has that kind of negativity. I've got to find what's wrong with you. Well, we take that and flip it on its head. Okay. And it's, we, we, we've got a thing called a put up. 
Okay. What would it look like? And so what we do is we have like a spotlight drill where we may do this with one kid or we may go around the whole team like after a practice or after a game. And we will as a coaching staff say, hey, Coach uh, Coach Smith, what do you think – what did you see Rob do tonight? He's like, oh, my gosh, did you see that guy on that, on that rebounding drill tonight, man? He laid out for that ball and he went out of bounds, man, going for that. That effort was off the charts, Rob. Great job. Okay, what else? Then we go over to Timmy. What do you see in them? And we go on and on and on. And it – feels kind of corny at first, but then we repeat and we repeat and repeat. And now we start having the players model that to each other. Say, hey, Rob, what did you see Tim do tonight? Uh, he played kind of hard. He's like, okay, that's a good start, but let's be a little more specific next time. Great. And now we start saying, okay, coach is going to ask me every time. Better have something ready to go. I better be ready. And now what are you looking for? Something positive. Something they did well. So we're flipping it on its head, and it has a, it has a transformational uh, effect inside of the culture of a team. If they don't say something well, do you make them run? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cuss them out. And, 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 no, no, no. Come on, you got to know something. <laughs> That's why it's important, I think, for the coaches to lead with that by you know, modeling that, for example. Uh, so those are just a couple examples uh, of that, too. But I think the main thing is I have not met one coach, Rob, in all of my 13 years on doing ministry and then even longer with just my coaching career that would look me in the eye and say, listen, I don't want to have an, a positive impact beyond this season with my players. Everyone wants oh, to yeah. do that. I, have just, I, just, I think people get into coaching, you know, unless you're on the high, highest level, you're not making money. No. <laughs> right? I mean, your you're, oh. you're, you're stipend you got, I don't know if you paid my, my, my gas. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah, you never want to do the math on hours versus no. my stipend. You're like, ooh, no. No, 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 no. no. So you're, you're primarily in it because, one, you might have the hook in it like, like you and I kind of oh, have there yeah. too. But you're really, honestly, you're in that because I really like, I think I've got something to offer. Yeah. And I'd really like to have an impact on these kids um, for the rest of their lives. Yeah. And that's, a, that's worthwhile spending my time in. But, but this is the, the big gap is, and that's what Jeff Duke's research showed is, everyone wants to do that, but almost no one is really intentional and strategic about doing that. And that's what 3D coaching tries to help coaches do. Not tell you how to coach, yeah. but try to give you a, hey, a, a framework is what would it look like, Rob, for you to build your own second dimension strategy in the off season with your team? What about having a third dimension strategy within your team, uh, within your season? So that's what three-dimensional coaching is. It's really a framework to try to help coaches. Um, and it's academically uh, backed up uh, by Dr. Jeff Duke. And um, we've, we, we have a faith-based version that we use because it turns out all of these principles, as it turns out the academic research found, they're all biblical and basically what Jesus taught anyways. So yeah. it's not like some brand new discoveries here. Yeah. It's just kind of repackaged from what Jesus taught 2,000 years ago, which is actually about as good as it can get here right? for us in SCA. So would it sounds like something, too, that would work outside of athletics. Abs it's leadership. Yeah. So how would you define leadership then in something like this? Wow. Wow. So I, many, I set you up for that one. So many good definitions in that, too. Yeah. I, I, how about I define... I will hold you to legalistic I'll, I, leadership. I will... Uh, I believe it's John Maxwell, so I think I want to give him credit. Uh, and I'm maybe it's some Joe Blow, and I, I'm, this isn't mine. But I think a great leader, to define a great leader, is when they're gone, what's left. Hmm. I, that's that. That is, I think, a really important thing as I would define leadership is it's not about me. Uh, you know, a leader that is really self-centered and really you everything goes through me, and I said so, and it's just. 
yeah, they have the title of leader, but I'm not, I'm not sure that I would really say that's a great leader. But okay. I think a great leader is like, man, they made me better. They fought for my highest possible good. And they built a, they, they were always thinking about what's their, what's their transition plan for when they're not there because they're, it's really not about them. It's about the mission of whatever that is they're working on. Okay. That even when they're gone, it still continues. I mean, John Wooden is one of the greatest examples of that too. The coaching tree and all what oh, was left. Yeah. I mean, look at the legacy that was left behind. I think great leaders leave a great legacy behind them. So I think it's a key attribute of leadership. All right. Now, here, here's one of my, I would say one of my pet peeves in, we'll say, leadership in general. Yeah. Because like, you can go, and I agree with your definition there. No, yeah. no, no debate on that. Is I've been talking to some friends about this recently. Because, like, you always see, there's the leadership section at the bookstore. There's the leadership section on the podcast. There's a leadership section, you know, wherever, wherever you go. But yeah. have you ever found the follower section? <laughs> I should write a book about that. I, we'll see. We, we could start our own section. Right? And we could, but like, so it's one of those where you go, and a lot of people list, like, what are good characters in a leader? And they're just like, those are just characters of being a good human being. Yeah. It's not a character of a lead. I mean, it could, it's just one and the same. Yeah. But like, like a lot with what you're saying, like yeah. in the general Webster definition of leader, getting a group that can't get somewhere on their own to do something together, accomplish a task together. Right. You know, by, you know, more of a Marion Webster definition. Right. But you go, of a leader, you go, but like, who wants to be the person that's not the leader? Like, I've never seen a LinkedIn profile, phenomenal follower. Yeah. <laughs> My <laughs> following skills are that of, you know, of yeah. legendary proportion. Right. Like, I'm, I was like, right. But. For the most part, we all follow as much as, if not more, than we yeah. lead. Yeah. But everyone wants to talk about, you know, that leadership side of stuff. I think that's great insight, Rob. And I would have to say that some of the greatest leaders look like great followers. Uh, you know, who, who is someone? Maybe he doesn't even have a leadership title on their business card, but you're like that that guy or that gal. They're leading, and they make me better. Oh yeah, no. If I, if you ever look like on like on LinkedIn profiles or stuff like that when you're looking yeah. around, and they say expert or yeah. leader, like also like when you have to call yourself the expert, self-proclaimed, yeah. Uh, like in like what are you, you know? Or have you seen like the leadership coaches? It's like what do you, or life coach? Yeah, that's my favorite one. Yeah, it's like so. I it's stuff like yeah. that. You go. Yeah. And but yeah, like it's like yeah. you don't hear much about like or even proclaim like what's what's it look like to be a good follower where even Jesus, you know, submitted himself. No doubt. And yeah. you know, it's like, so I just, it's, you hear all the stuff and just kind of, it starts just irking me after a while where it's, you know, yeah. what's, yeah. how do you, how do you become a good follower? And like a lot of it's just, the other thing people don't talk about in today's, you know, world, it seems like is being humble. Right. Because let's be honest, most of the time, you're not the one writing the check at the end of the day. You're not right. the one responsible to it. If, everything goes wrong. Like my dad was a right. co-owner of a business. I still remember, yeah. remember him telling me stories where it's like, he stayed up night. Cause like a lot of people, if you make a mistake at work, you know, it can be fixed. It may cost mm-hmm. a few bucks or time delays. It, it happens. He goes, if I make one too many mistakes, there's a lot of people that, you know, go home without a job. Yeah. Yeah. And you're going like, there's a different burden on that. Yeah. And so you just sort of go, I, I, that's why yeah. I just, you hear all these people talking about leadership all the time. It's leadership everywhere too. And yeah. I just more my, not that yeah, I'm not, yeah. not nothing, nothing against you guys. You just sort of caught one of my nerves. That's all. No, no, I, I would agree with that. I think, and I do think more and more, um, you know, we look back at the Hoosiers, the movie oh, and, yeah. and that generation of, uh, 
when it was largely a different culture and the family structure was largely different than what we have in America right now today. And when coach says, go, I need to go run. And the coach says, why is it? Because I said so. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. And they go do it. Yeah. And they know that if they get in trouble at, at school or on, on the team that day at practice, that what they're going to face at home might be even worse, you know, because I mean, the, the assumption is that the teacher or the coach is right. Is the authority figure. The authority figure. And by definition, we respect that and we honor that. And that is so, so opposite of what we face today that um, I, I'm, a, I'm a glass half full guy. Okay. So... I think it's a huge opportunity for coaches today. We cannot coach like a couple generations ago. That Hoosier kind of coaching, because I said so, I mean, kids just have way too many options these days. They're like, fine, I'll go play video games. I'll go do something else. Yeah. Uh, you know, And uh, by and large, kids just don't have so many more options than they did before. So just by definition of that. And then, um, so I think this forces coaches to be more three-dimensional, if I can use that term, yeah. going back to 3D coaching, instead of just, because I said so, if, you know, back in the day, you really could, only needed to be a one-dimensional coach. Yeah. Have your systems, have your playbook ready, have your practice plans ready, be excellent in your training and in, in, the, in the physical part of sport. And then, you know, use fear and intimidation when you need to, to make them work harder. And the, that's the end of story. I don't have to worry about building relationships or caring about these kids or trying to take an interest in them, maybe besides them, how they can win me some more games on the court or the field. Uh, I think it forces coaches to be better. Yeah. And, but the, but the, the research through 3D coaching also shows is that when you coach in three, all three dimensions and you basically coach to the heart of the athlete, not just the athlete, you get a higher performing athlete anyways. Isn't that what you want as a coach? Anyway? Which is kind of what we're in this for anyways, right? It's not a guarantee to win state championships. I mean, it's not some some secret pill you take kind of thing. But you will get a higher-performing athlete. So it's just like if, if you don't really give a rip about kids, but you just wanted to win and have the highest-performing team, I would say then you need to have a strategy coach all three dimensions, coach. Yeah. I mean, the research and the evidence just show that. Incredible. So... Um, but but I do find it interesting. You mentioned Jesus too, and I look. Uh, I think it's John chapter thirteen when um, he's washing the disciples' feet. Yeah. I and mean, what a visual of like, well, the greatest leader who ever lived, and he's getting down on his knees and washing the dirtiest part of your body, just your feet, especially at that time when they had sandals oh, yeah. and stuff. I mean, it's just awful that he would lower himself to like, wow, I'm gonna, I'm gonna serve you in that way. Um, I think it's rare to see that in our day. But man, when I see something that approaches that, I am just amazed and I am drawn to that. It's amazing when you see that stuff. Yeah, yeah. What, if you, what coaches do you keep an eye on that I don't, you don't have to say that they fill those three spots with coaches, people. Right. Like, I mean, you don't have to say Coach K because yeah. I know you just probably, I don't know if I can <laughs> say that without throwing up in your mouth a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Buzz Williams really caught my eye. I Buzz love, Williams. yeah, who's, who was at, um, was at Virginia Tech, and now I think he just went back to A&M. Okay. So um, that guy, is no, no, there's no perfect coach. He lived, the perfect coach died 2,000 years ago, right? Uh, yeah, no, I'm not asking for perfection. I, but, man, he's an example of a guy that coaches way beyond just just the, the hard work. Why do you say that? Like, what have you seen? I, I've seen videos of him. I've seen interviews of him. I mean, he is committed, and he is a Christian. He is a he is just. I mean, that's the purpose of his life. So he's got his his higher purpose uh, in, in Jesus Christ. 
but man, he coaches, he cares about those players. I mean, I've seen some videos of them doing, he brought some veterans in to teach them about, you know, why we stand for the national anthem and the history. And, and it just, it, it, that has nothing to do with basketball. Yeah. You know, uh, he's a guy like that. Dabo Sweeney is, uh, yeah. Um, if, if my son was a football player and had a chance to play division one football and had a chance to play for him, I mean, he would be the coach yeah. that I'd want my kid to play for. I mean, he's just, he's excellent in the first dimension, obviously winning national championships. But, man, that guy cares about his players, and he's building young men. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Those are two that come to, come to mind. Oh, no, that's fine. So when you, when you see uh, what's going on with, like, the younger athletes compared to, like, even when you started coaching to today, where you, the kids have a million more options, it seems like, and the coach I don't, the coach has probably lost some of the authority title. Yeah. Because, once again, when the kid has options, it's not like, well, if you want to play basketball, you've got to play for Coach John. If you don't want to play yeah. for Coach John, you're – Maybe just shooting around in the backyard. Yeah. So, but now it's like, oh, no, I'll just play on my club team. No, I'll just do this. And now if I don't like this club coach, I'm going to this other club coach. Right. So, like, how do you see that impacting not only FCA, but, you know, the youth culture? Yeah, it doesn't – it's not real pretty. It's kind of hard to kind of polish that up and say it looks really good. Yeah. Because from my point of view, it's just like, man, this is this is, this is not good. And, um, you know, I uh, – I know, I know stories of coaches of, of, uh, who are doing a really good job of coaching uh, kids and um, you know, having kids, you know, even in high school, transferring. Yeah. Because they don't feel like they're getting enough playing time, enough respect, all that kind of stuff, when they're actually getting very inappropriate amount of time and they're getting treated very well. They just yeah. don't get that, man, I just have to embrace that kind of growth mindset. Um, this says, listen, you know, I, I did adversity or some challenge or trials. I mean, I embrace that cause that's what makes me better. Yeah. You know, this whole smooth road. Um, yeah, I, I remember reading, a, a, a study a few years ago that there was a whole new term, you know, we've, we've, we've had the helicopter parent oh, yeah. for a long time. They just always hovered around the kid wherever they oh, went yeah. that, um, sociologists actually had to come up with a different term of, of like an extreme version of that called the, the lawnmower parent. Oh, right on top of <laughs> and, that. <laughs> and what there's like, okay, wait, 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 son or daughter, let me go mow the, the, the path in front of you before you step on this. Cause you gotta, you gotta go ahead. I mean, just, you know, parents are going, parents are not helping with this situation. Um, and, and, and up and coming. And, you know, of course the travel in the club world is, Kind of the wild west it is in a lot of ways and uh there's a lot of people that don't have the necessarily the best interests of of kids uh that, that are that are in, power, in position of power there yeah no i have a one of my friends tim he runs uh like a he helps kids get he played he coached college basketball yeah. out in nebraska at a d2 or something out there but he, he was telling me stories he's like because people use the excuse to play in these travel club teams like well they're just trying to you know get more minutes play against better competition do all this he's like are you really? It's like you're spending more time in front of a windshield. Wow. Then you're playing your game. Oh, man. And when you think about it, like, you know, an occasional trip isn't bad to go, hey, mm-hmm. let's go see what the other, you know, other side of the country can do when we compete. But can you, can, you know, especially in the Denver area, couldn't you go? There are no other teams you could be playing. Yeah. yeah there, there's not anyone around here you could go. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, let's yeah. be honest, most of us, honestly, like, we, a lot of people lack the self awareness to go, you know what, playing really hard out here, doing yeah. really well here, is going to be just as beneficial as traveling to L.A., to Vegas, to Dallas. Yeah. And all that yeah. money spent and resources and time. Yeah. Well, you know, like, it's like you're really... Really? Yeah. So... Yeah. I'm with you. And it takes a lot of intentionality and discipline on, on, a, on a parent's behalf to really say, 
we're gonna we're gonna own this youth sports thing. It's not gonna own us. You have kids, right? So yeah, I've got a How? son who who he just graduated high school. So we're the ship sailed. I don't have okay. to worry about that <laughs> okay. uh, anymore. And I just had one, so I didn't have a you know whole flock like some of. How'd you guys deal with it? So, um, Make him play a musical instrument. He played. He, <laughs> well, he's gotten a computer, so you know I'm really proud of him there too. Um, but uh, yeah, early on it was just you know kind of experimental kind of things too. But I think the parents that I have talked to that I think have really done it right have been very proactive and very very strategic and intentional of saying we'll go this far and no further yeah and that might mean mean saying no to some things um you know it's like well listen if you don't play this eight-year-old league you know you'll never move up to the 10-year-olds and then you go to the 12-year-olds and it's like listen you realize his college his whole career is life because he won't get that college scholarship oh it's amazing how people dangle that that carrot is dangled you know any club that is worth their salt that's really got a much of a following and, and, yeah. and some momentum is going to have a link on their webpage that says, here's our former players that are now playing at the next level. Yeah. That's the carrot that's dangled in front of these parents, even to the really young ages. Oh yeah. And, um, you know, my favorite comment when people are like, are you going to help my kid get a scholarship? I'm like, I can help you find a good tutor. <laughs> <laughs> like, are you like, if, if you're fighting to get that athletic scholarship, so's yeah. everybody else. Right. That's like, is like this GPA, SAT, you know, those are going to be the more important stats. Right, right. Not the points per game. Yeah. So I, I've had a chance, Rob, to talk to do some parent talks, um, you know, just yeah, from a Christian point of view, how should we as parents approach this whole youth sport thing? That's a great question. Just just throw out some ideas here. And not that I've mastered everything or I'm that expert guy. Oh, but, yeah. But I get to work with this. That's my job, working yeah. with athletics. So I've, I've seen some things. And um, this is what I said. I said, listen, here's the... Here's the t- statistics. Um, most kids are, are done. I'll even round way up and be really generous with your little with your little seven year old. That maybe that guy plays all the way up till he's 20 years old. All right, maybe he's in high school. Maybe he plays a little bit beyond there, whatever. But let's let's just say it's 20 years old. Well, let's also say that you know what's the life expectancy in America today? And said so let's round that up to 80 for some nice net yeah. round numbers. So you're talking, you are potentially going to go hook, line, and sinker into this whole youth sports things and drop tons of money, lose tons of weekends that could be done camping or doing some other family kind of stuff, uh, all to pursue this thing for a quarter of their life when they've got three quarters of their life left over that. And the carnage that's left over about that too is like some, oftentimes some really bad coaching, some really bad experiences, some debt, a lot of debt that some of these families get into. And it's like, boy, we've got sold a bill of goods here because now our kid's an adult, and I don't know if we really invested our time and our money and our effort into the right things. Not that we should never play sport. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah. But what it would look like if we strategically leveraged this one quarter of their life, the sports part of it at least, so that the next three quarters of their life, man, they have, they have learned, they are prepared, they are matured, so they are ready to be very successful in the rest of their life. No, it makes a ton of sense. Yeah, it's really it's an upside down kind of thing. But you know, when you're in the moment, oh yeah, it's tough. You, you want to you want to believe what everyone's telling you. I mean, there's something about being a parent at a game, watching your kid play. It's intoxicating as a parent. I, I can believe I I don't have kids, but I, I always joke around. I go, I got like when I coached at a basketball program, like I got 50 of them. Yeah, don't claim any of my taxes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I got 50. Of them. Exactly. We used, to, we used to tell our parents that uh, the our basketball parents I go. I go, just so you guys know, when you're watching the game, there's at least three games going on, arguably four. Uh, there's, you've probably heard this before. Yeah, it's, like, yeah. it's, it's the one the coaches are watching. 
So when the players are watching, we're trying to get them to watch it more like how the coaches are watching it yeah. and play it the way we want you to. Then there's the game the parents are watching. And that's not what the, when the coaches are. I don't know. It's like, it's like, like you said, what they're watching is, you know, they want to see their kid be successful. And right. there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. You know, sure. But know that we're probably having them do something different than what you want to see in your head. Yep. Just know yeah. that. You know, and then there's the game the refs are watching. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's one we all can disagree on. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So it's yeah. A, yeah. The fact of the matter is that almost every parent would rather see their kid make the all-state team than the team, team win the state championship. If they had to choose one or the other, I believe most parents would choose, I want my kid to make the all-state team if they were honest. Uh, which yeah. is a built-in conflict with us as coaches, right? Because oh, we're really yeah. trying to win the state championship. Yeah, you want everyone to be successful. Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. So that's at the core of this whole thing. So no wonder we've got this whole parent-coach, you know, sometimes conflict and so forth. So, you know, that's the other thing we talk about is like, well, John, I, I think you're making a good point that what if we really intentionally took this one quarter of their life, this sport experience, and really leverage it? What, what should we do to leverage that? It's like, let's seize the opportunity for those teachable moments. And let's also be honest with us here as adults, parents, that most of the best lessons that we learned here today that made us the people we are, we learned through adversity. Oh, yeah. Trials, when things didn't go our way, it hurt, it whatever this, this this situation that man i learned the most important life lessons through that so that if if and when that probably is going to happen with your kid here let's yeah. not be too quick to jump in yeah. and jump ship to another team or whatever like that embrace that process um, i think that's a key thing there which is really hard to do i'm not here oh. bashing parents saying like it's, it's easy you should just do it but it's worthwhile it's worthwhile because if you can walk through that, there were, I did have a few parents, and hopefully you did too, yeah. that had that mindset. Oh, they're great. And and you were just like, could we just replicate that attitude with all the parents here? Man, this oh, job yeah. would be so so awesome. Isn't it funny? Like those parents, like some of those parents, I still talk to to this day, like yeah. left programs, and yeah. you know, kids have graduated, and like, oh, we still stay in touch. And then the kids on the court, the ones that you push the hardest. Yeah. Those are the ones that always seem to stay in touch. It's the ones yeah. that you kind of like, there's, there's that level where it's like, yeah. hey, I know you can do better. Every time you tell a kid that, yeah. and then they do better, it's like those are the ones that somehow become the lifelong friends. The ones that, even the ones that were the star of the teams, the best player, they come and go, it seems like. But then like it's a kid that had those few moments, you're like, oh. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, they stay in touch. Yeah. Because like he helped me out to get to where that, and those are kind of that relationship side of coaching. You're just like, yeah. In the moment, we're like, man, if I could just remember this when it's when you're coaching in the game, yeah, it's like, wow, how much different when I've coached. Yeah, yeah, totally agree, totally agree. So it's just we've we've got to it's it's I guess it comes down to perspective. We've got to maintain that that long term perspective. And when I talk about again, yeah. as, as sport parents, yeah. is big picture had a tough game or maybe you didn't even play this game and yeah. I think you should have because I was watching the other kids and they stink and my kid's good but my kid's not going to sneak as much as that kid's uh, no way and that coach you know like try to push back ourselves on that bite our tongues and say alright let's love you know unconditionally love our kid when you play a great game yeah I'm high-fiving you but listen I don't love you anymore than if you play a horrible game. I mean, we can model that unconditional kind of love with them. I think that's really important. So that it, free, it frees them up as athletes too. Oh, yeah. When you know that, you know, mom or dad is there and they're no matter what, oh, and you yeah. have a horrible game and they're still hugging you, and like, listen, you know, they're not treating you any different than if you, you know, was leading scorer that game. 
man, that frees any of us up. Oh, yeah. You know? It's the moments, uh, I think the most one of the most teachable moments for players is that ride home after the game with their parents. Yes. Where it's like, and that's when I know a lot of kids that went to play in college afterwards, and like when that wasn't there anymore, huh. it's amazing how like that family aspect, like they're on their yeah. plane, you know, a thousand miles away from home. Yeah. Their friends that are changing and they don't get to, you know, it's that ride home after the game or yeah. to go get the frosty in the drive through on the way home or whatever yeah. that little tradition may be. And all of a sudden that's not there. It's like all of a sudden that the passion for the game, yeah, it kind of changes. It yeah. now becomes more of a job. It's more of work. Not that they don't love the game still, right. but it's just not the same. Right. And more so, and more, we have more and more sad stories uh, nowadays, Rob, that these kids from a very young age that have made, in my opinion, the mistake early on of selecting one sport and playing oh, that year-round. And you, you do that for five 10 or more years now and now they do get to some college level they are so wiped out with that sport that oh, there's absolutely. there's story after story now more and more athletes are like i don't want to play anymore i'm out i'm an adult and i'm saying i'm out i'm not I'm, playing at this college anymore yeah i know kids that were by the time they're getting to their senior in high school they, they had to give everything they had just to keep playing because uh, they were done yeah like, what i mean how sad is that i mean we're, we're talking about a game yeah, 17, 18-year-olds, too. Yeah. And it, we're, like I said, it's a game that's supposed to be fun with their friends. It should be a joy to play this thing. Oh, and, yeah. And uh, it becomes work and becomes a job. And um, I think we got to be careful about that. Yeah. All right. I got, I got, I'm going to wrap up here with one more question. I, I, I could talk to you for a while. We talk coaching. It's, oh, you, you, you hit a button, man. So um, I, I mentioned to you as you came in. So 180-degree turn here, by the uh -oh. way, on the question. Uh -oh. so just, I'm get, sitting down. All right. Edge of your seat here. So you've been you have you had a son that just graduated. Yes. So you've been married for a few years now. That's right. How long have you been married? Twenty three years. Twenty three years. So then I'm getting married in the upcoming months. Yeah. So I figured whenever I get you know, what I would consider smart wise people in front of me to ask a, a good question of going, How do I not screw this up? Like what's what's some good marriage or wedding advice? I'll keep it short. Don't keep score. Okay. As a coach, that's important. That's because <laughs> I know you guys got a scoreboard in your mind. Yeah, I, what I mean by that is you have a have a short account um, because that, that that that's I mean this it doesn't solve every problem, but yeah. I mean, it's a great I think mantra to kind of have is you know just just don't keep score. Let's look what happened last week, what happened yesterday or this morning. I'm, I'm wiping that from my memory as best I can. I'm going to love you as you are here, right here, right now. And if we could both at least try to do that as best we can here, I think that's going to set us on a, on a, on a better road. I appreciate it. John Adams, anything else you want to say before we let, let you go here? No, I really appreciate that. Appreciate the time. And, um, and again, good luck with this three months in. Uh, look forward to seeing a lot more of these. Yeah, no, it's a blast. So I appreciate you taking the time you to bet. come here. Thanks, right. Rob. Thanks.